scripture reading this evening comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. That's on page 1009 in the Red Pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Good evening to you. I'm glad to see you. This, uh, this weekend and first day of the week have gone very quickly for me. I really was looking forward to coming because I knew something about the Katy Church of Christ. Not because I had been here, but because I've heard wonderful things. I can't think of a single thing that I don't just love about this church. It's a warm and friendly church. But not just that, you're a group of people who love your elders. I'm not just saying that. I mean, I'm about tired of people coming to me and saying, I love, I love the elders. I really love the elders. I'm teasing about that. Uh, but, and, and you love your preacher. And of course you do. And John does such a terrific job here. And what a great fit. And the kids sing is, is wonderful. Listen, don't you forget this. The best people in the world are children. It's the truth. And you've got to peck up them and they're wonderful. I loved all of that, and John does a terrific job with kids sing. So we had this, this weekend scheduled for a long time. I don't know how long, perhaps a few years. And John uh, talked to the elders, and he contacted me. And it was a gospel meeting. That's what we're going to do, a gospel meeting. He said, could we change that and have a marriage family seminar? Well, that's right up my alley. And I said, sure, sure. And so... That's what we did. And what I would like to do with your permission is to conclude the seminar tonight. So I want to, I want to do one more. I want, to, I want to take one more stab at talking about our marriages. And this one is, is somewhat different. This is Ephesians 5.22 with which you're familiar. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. We're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I'm going to uh, ask again for your permission about this sermon, because 
This one is unique in this way. I want to I talk about power words. Power words in your marriage. This one is unique, though, in that most of it has to do with my marriage. Not because I think that our marriage is better than yours, but because it's my point of reference. I want to make the points, and then I want to, I want to show you how these power words are relevant in our lives. Proverb 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. This, this was an assignment to me, not here, but before. I got an assignment, and I sat down with Mrs. Colley, and we began to talk about the power words. And we've been married for quite a long time, and, and we realized, as we hadn't before, that there were, there were things that we just commonly said to one another that had a great deal of, of power behind them, a great deal of meaning behind them. I want to go through some of those. Now, the Bible says in Genesis 2 and 24, Therefore shall a man, man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. That's very important because it's quoted a couple of different times in Scripture. In Matthew 19, then on down to Ephesians chapter 5, same concept. And two people become one person. Now, if you have been married for any appreciable amount of time, you've grown to appreciate that. I mean, the reality of that. And when you start getting white hair, why? It becomes just an amazement to you that, that two people could stay together for so many years and draw closer and closer together until they are one flesh. One flesh hasn't simply to do with the physical relationship between a husband and wife. It has to do with the physical, but also with the, with the spiritual, with the psychological, with, with the social. We, we just become much the same person. You go to Genesis chapter 5 and you read in the King James translation and the Bible says that Eve had a, another name besides Eve. You know what that was? It, was? it was Adam. He called their name Adam. All right. Power words. Here we go. Number one. Can I have your wallet? Uh, actually, this is something that Mrs. Colley says to me pretty often. And... Now, if you say it to me tonight, it's not going to work, but it works with her. And usually it happens at the close of worship, and she'll come to me, and, and there's something. I don't know. Maybe somebody's getting up a baby shower or a wedding shower, or there's always something going on in the church, and she needs some cash. And I don't carry a lot of cash, but whatever I've got, you know, I just hand the wallet to her. I'm usually in conversation with somebody in the church, and she says, she just eases up beside me, can I have your wallet? And it just comes out, and it goes to her. Now, the depth of that, the meaning of that, cannot be lost. And that is, number one, in our marriage, everything that we have belongs to us. We have one checking account. Every penny that is owned, owns, it, it, we own it together. Everything belongs, one bucket. We all, we, we're together about this. Everything is ours. But it's not just that. It's, it's Proverb 31, where the Bible says, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her. I never worry about her and money. I never do. I, I don't even think about it. She's frugal and she cares about keeping things balanced and I never worry about what she's doing with the money. I just hand her the wallet. And it's also true that, that I, I don't mind her on the spur of the moment asking to see my wallet because there's nothing in there that would embarrass me. There's nothing in there that I'm afraid for her to see. It's very much like, gentlemen, other parts of your life that you ought to do. You know, I, 
You take a man that's doing things that are wrong and his wife wants to look through his computer or his cell phone and he may hesitate about that for fear that she might find something unseemly. When I'm at a restaurant with Mrs. Collie and we are eating and I make a practice of this, we don't talk about it. I, I don't know that I've explained it to her, but if I get up to go to the restroom, I'm going to leave my cell phone on the table. I just leave it on the table. When we're at home, I, I will leave my laptop or my iPad. I just leave them out so that I, I come back from the restroom and she's sitting at the table. I don't know if she's looked at it. So frankly, frankly, she probably hasn't. But if she wants to, she can because I have nothing to hide. She can look at whatever she wants. Can I have your wallet? <laughs> sure. Number two, can you see my hand? I know this doesn't mean anything to you, but it goes back to our, when we were kids. Now we married when we were 21 and it freed Hardiman. And, and so if we'd be sitting together, we'd be holding hands after, after I persuaded her to leave that other boy. And, and so we'd be holding hands and you, you know the symbol for I love you. And, and so we would do that. I mean, if, if no matter, I mean, we could just do that in, in the hand there and the other one would, would reciprocate. And so that became just something for us. And so now we, we do a good bit of traveling. And so it means that we're apart and we talk every day, usually multiple times a day. And, and this is a whole body of meaning. Can you see my hand means that I'm, I'm lonely for you. I, I don't like being away from you. My bed is cold. I miss our conversation. I, I long for getting back to you so that we can just connect and be together again. And sometimes if, if we write an email or a text or something and you just want to communicate that, we can do it as an acrostic, just C-Y-S-M-H. And she, I can promise you right now if I texted that, she would know exactly what that meant and it would go all the way back to when we were 19. How about this one? Can you listen for a second? I spent some time in the seminar on Saturday talking about devices and cell phones. Now, one of the problems with a man is that because he's so focused in one track, well, sometimes when she comes to the table and I'm working on a lesson or something, I have to actually shake my head to, to get myself together. Of course you can. Of course I can listen to you. What, what can I do for you? But sometimes in marriage, it's, it's the fact that a person gets, one person or the other gets so addicted to their devices that it's really, really hard to have a conversation. A lot of young husbands are are really connected to video games. You be careful about that now. I don't think it's wrong to play video games, provided that they're, they're, they're not rubbish. Some, sometimes there's a lot of porn stuff on there, ugly stuff, and you don't have any business, Christian, doing that. No business at all. You stop that now. But sometimes you have a young husband, he's got a, maybe a child or two, and, and he spends an inordinate amount of time doing those video games. I'll tell you what he's not doing while he's playing the video games. He's not talking to his family. He's not interacting with his family. I don't like that. That can't be good. We're going to regret that later. Can, I, can you listen for a second? Leads me to say, remember please the, the cell phone rules that we've made. The cell phone rule is that you don't bring a cell phone to the table. Let's just decide that for our family. No cell phones at the table. There can be an exception, and that is if there's a real emergency, you can use the cell phone. Or 
if there's something that we need to look up that pertains to the conversation at the table, you can, you can do that and look it up so that the conversation is further. But can't we just save this little amount of time through the day when we sit down at the table to leave the devices alone? Say to the teenagers, get that out of your lap and put it away. Can you listen for a second? Now, there's one more thing about this. Paul wrote over in 2 Corinthians that he said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You think it's possible for a person, a Christian, to be under the power of device usage because they're just sort of addicted to it? Well, I mean, like right now, it, does it make you kind of nervous if I say the word Facebook because it makes you want to check and see if there's anything on there right now for you? Or the email, how often do we do that? Do you sleep with your device? Let's just be careful about that. We're, we're the first generation really to go through this at this level. I don't think we've seen the end of this yet. I, I think that you ought to wait to buy devices for your kids till they get bigger. Don't do it when they're little. Be careful about this. So this one is, can you listen for a second? Number next, do you think I should send this? This is one that Cindy and I will often say to one another. We respond to a question, or maybe it has to do with working on a problem, helping somebody, or whatever it happens to be. A document that, that is somewhat sensitive, and, and she knows me so well. I know her so well, and we know what we want to communicate, and that we don't want to accidentally say something that's going to be misunderstood. And so we hand it off. Could you read this? Do you think I should send this? And sometimes she will say to me, oh, you know, I think, I think, I know what you mean, but I don't think this line is going to communicate that. I would tweak it and say it this way. Well, if she says that, I'm probably going to change it. Not because I'm forced to, but because I trust her. I trust her judgment. And the same thing happens in the reverse. We are one person, and this is an illustration of that. Here's the next one. Stay with me. I don't know if you do this, but... You can be in a crowd of people, a lot of people, and be very alone. Is that true? I mean, you don't know anybody. Sometimes we'll go to a, a big wedding, and it's a very fine wedding, and you just don't know anybody. Or maybe it's a funeral or whatever it happens to be. And it's not uncommon for Cindy to turn over to me and say, stay with me. And what that means is that she's afraid that I will go visit with someone, I'll get involved, and I'll just leave her standing there, and it's, it's awkward for her, and so that's what, that's what that means. Now, she's very beneficial to me, too. I mean, we're, we're in a, a room of 100 people, and we, don't, we know hardly anyone. And, and how she really helps me is by, well, she remembers names better than I do, a lot better. And see, the way this works is pretty clever. Now, somebody will start walking up, and she knows, and I know him, but I can't remember his name. And so she'll say, hello, Jim Weaver. And I'll say, Jim Weaver, you old so-and-so, how are you doing? We're, we're better when we're together. She and I are better if we're together. Here's the next one. I'm not feeling well. Some time back, I had to have some minor surgery. It was, a, it was an in-house surgery, and I, one day thing, and I got out. But it required putting me to sleep. Now, I, I'm not very good at that. I mean, I think that the going to sleep is kind of fun. But, I mean, 
So here's the doctor and there's a nurse in there and then she's kind of interested in all the equipment and they're playing some music as I recall. And then there's the anesthesiologist, she, very friendly young woman and she's there beside me and she gets me all worked, wired up and, and uh, we had casual conversation and then she said, you're gonna go to sleep now. That was the last time I ever saw her. I mean, that was, that's it. Well, I think that's kind of interesting. But I'm not very good at the waking up part. I don't know, I had red hair growing up and they say that that affects it. I'm, I'm gone. I mean, so far as consciousness is concerned, I don't like giving up control of my surroundings, what little I have. I guess that's part of a, being a man. I don't, I don't really like that. But now you listen to me. She's me. It's okay. I don't mind being put to sleep that way in reference to that because she's me. She, she's going to be there the entire time. She's going to care for me. The fact is that she, she will think for me. And it's about the kind of care I get too because I know that she's going to be watching and should there be any kind of a mistake if, if a nurse came to, to put in some sort of a drug, she's going to be paying attention to that. Cindy will care about that. And if there's something that doesn't seem quite right, I really want her to ask a question and she's going to do that. She'll ask about that. And when I start coming to, and that's the hardest part, I mean for me, and sometimes it can take quite a while and it's not very pleasant, when I come to, she's holding my hand. There's a thousand words in that. You know why? Yeah, you do. You do know why. I can't really get a grasp of reality, but I know that that's her hand, and I know that she's right beside me. And, and what that means is that I can just go back to sleep now because everything's all right. She will not leave me. That's part of being one flesh. Do you understand what I'm saying? It, it's part of being one flesh. Can I load your car? Now see, I say this one a lot. I'm not bragging about myself, but this is what we do. I just don't want to see Cindy carrying anything heavy. I just don't like it. I don't like it. And I say, uh, she'll say, I, I, I can do this. Okay, Glenn. And I'll say, well, Cindy, I'm the man. I'll do it. I'll do it. And so she comes in for, from grocery shopping. I'm going out there to unload the car. That's just what I do. Now, when I had that little surgery I talked about, well, I couldn't lift anything more than a gallon of milk for about six weeks, like to kill me. I'd just sit in the house and watch her carry all those things, have to go somewhere and preach, and I would look out, and she'd be loading the car. I, I don't have her load the car. I heard of a, a man the other day who decided that, and said it the first day of marriage, he said, now, when we're going on a trip, you load your luggage and unload your luggage, and I'll do mine. And I thought, I am not cut from that piece of cloth. Can I load your car? That means, do you have your luggage ready? Because I'm going to put it in for you. That's what I'm going to do. Next, tell me about your day. Now you do this, don't you? you? You do this. Tell me about your day. Heard a man who had a listening chair. I mean, that's just what he thought of it as. And it was in their bedroom on the other side of the room from the bed. And before they turned in at night, before they disrobed, he, he would sit down in the chair and he would say, Tell me how things are going. And he would, it was his listening chair. He just listened. Now a wife isn't so interested in you solving all of her problems. Sometimes a husband does that. He wants to blurt out answers. But sometimes what she wants is just for somebody to listen. And every day, every day, I need to look at her and say, tell me about your day. Tell me how things are going. How are you doing? 
Okay, let's pray. I don't mean you. I mean, this is one of the power words. When the children came, and I guess before they came, we were doing what we called story time every night. The children are grown. Now they bring the grandchildren to see us, which we love. And we always through that time have had what we call story time at night before we go to bed. Nathan used to come and visit us. Nathan's an engineer now and has a family of his own. But when he was, when he was young in Fried Hardeman, he would come to our house sometimes with Caleb, our son, and he would spend the weekend with us. And we always enjoyed that. And his family of wonderful Christian people. And he's always been a good kid. And anyway, he was talking to Hannah, our daughter, one night after we had our story time. And he said, Hannah, do you, does your family always have a, a Bible time when you have company? And she smiled and she said, we have Bible time whether we have company or not. Share God. In your marriage, share God. And and one of the greatest ways to do it is to make sure that every night you have some family time together. Sit up in the bed with your spouse. If you don't have kids, if you have kids, bring them and set them on the bed or, or go to the, the, the den or the kitchen table or wherever. Now, the way that it works in our house for Cindy and me is that we, we're reading a book or we're, we have different things that we do. Right now, we've been reading Wayne Jackson's book called Notes in the Margin of My Bible. Now, you'll like that. It's, it is, if you love to read the Bible and study the Bible, it's they're only about a page, page and a half each for things he has noticed in Scripture, details of Scripture. And it starts in the Old Testament and, and he has, it just randomly chooses passages. And it's, to me, it's just fascinating. We've really enjoyed that. And it stimulates conversation. So what do you think about that? Or I thought about that verse. Or what about this other verse? And that's a lot of pleasure. But after we do that, then we pray together. Now prayer together. And, and when I say that, I mean, we really are praying together. That is to say that I lead the prayer, but but it will be very typical for her to say, now we need to remember brother so-and-so, you know, surgery's coming up for sister so-and-so and, and then there's this baby that's sick and we need to pray for that baby, Amos. And, and we just kind of go through them. And there've been times, as a matter of fact, during the prayer when she realized that I had forgotten somebody important and she'll just say, uh, Sam Jones or, or Betty, just say the name. And I'll say, thank you. And then I'll I'll remember because we're doing this together. This is a prayer that I'm leading, but we're, we're doing this together. You want to have a great marriage, Christian? Don't neglect this. Share God. It should be a typical common thing in your marriage, in your home to speak of Jesus. It shouldn't be a strange thing and it shouldn't be an awkward thing. It should be a common thing that you talk about the Lord and your trust in the Lord and your faith. And this is going to be all right because God has always been good to us, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Number next, you want to bring the book? This book is not the Bible that I'm talking about now. This book, this has to do with with our practice of reading together. And, And as we travel together, as we're driving, I don't like to listen to the radio myself, but I love, I love to listen to Cindy read. And so we have books that we both find interesting. As a matter of fact, if you called her tonight and say, what book is next? She will be able to tell you. I don't know what it is, but she, she keeps a collection of different kinds of books that she knows that we'll enjoy. And then so we read them. Now it's wonderful for stimulating conversation. And so we'll, we'll be reading along and I'll say, Cindy, do you know what's going to happen next? And I'll just say it. Now she doesn't like that. She doesn't like that at all. 
because I'm always right. That's not true. She'll turn around and do the same thing. We predict what's going to happen later. This is a wonderful thing that we spend time together in a way that we enjoy. What are you doing with your spouse like this in a hobby that you really enjoy? Do you have something that you really enjoy doing? Something that you can talk about? Something that you can use your imagination about? Something that you can plan for for the future? Here's the next one. Pick two. Now you may do this one. Pick two. We, we always eat out after worship on Sunday morning. We always do. And, and we've been married so long and we've had so many Sundays together that, and we, you know, in that area there are so many restaurants and I guess we've eaten at most of them. And so sometimes it would be kind of hard. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? Oh, I don't know. Wherever you like. Well, whatever you want. I don't know. And so we started doing this. One of us will say to the other, pick two. And that means pick two that you like and I'll choose from those two. Seems to me like a great way to solve a lot of things. Here's the next one. That was a great sermon this morning. Now, you have, we, have, we have a couple of preachers or more in this room right now who will really understand this one. I, I, may, I may preach a sermon. I'm no judge of sermons anymore. I, I, I don't think that I am because sometimes John, I don't know if you experienced this. Sometimes I think that this sermon is just great. This is a wonderful sermon. And nobody says anything about it. Nobody thinks anything about it at all. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make a splash at all. It doesn't, I, and, and then other times I'll preach a sermon that to me seems very basic, very, I don't know, not, not the same as the other. And, and people just think it's wonderful. So I don't think I'm a great judge of that. That's all right. The point that I want to make is, is when I think about Cindy and her opinion, because I know that she's honest, and I know that she knows me, and she knows preaching too, of course, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, if everybody in the, in the congregation came by and said, great sermon, Glenn, that's a great sermon, and we get in the car and Cindy says, so you weren't at your best this morning, right? <laughs> I'm not going to enjoy that, but I'm going to take her word for that. On the contrary, if she says it was a great sermon, then if that's the only person who says that, I'm going to believe it was. You know why? Because two people become one flesh. Would you visit mom? Now, teenagers, uh, there, there's a good probability that one day you're going to get married. Even some of you old ugly boys. I'm, I'm playing with you. And when you go down the list of things that you really want in a woman to marry, and you probably are starting to form those things in your mind, and I'm sure the girls are too, I want you to, both of you, to uh, put on your list that you want to marry someone who you believe has the values that will carry you through all seasons of life. It's a little bit difficult when you first marry to not just think about the now and where you are in life and you're starting a career and you're, you're getting a place to live and all these initial things of marriage. And you need to be looking down farther down the road because there's going to be other days. There will be times of great joy and there's going to be some times of great grief. And you're going to share those times together. And sometimes, I mean, in my case right now, uh, Cindy and I have only one living parrot left, and it's my mother, because we've buried the other three already. I'm going to tell you right now, 
that, that when you have to go through these kinds of times in life, and you will probably, you, you need to have married somebody who has the kind of values that will stick with you, that will stand by your side. And that's why you need to find and marry a faithful Christian. I don't, I don't say to kids, I, I really want you to marry a member of the Church of Christ. I think that's a given. You already know that. I want you to marry somebody who fears God, who really fears God. How can you tell? How can you tell if somebody fears God? How, how can you tell if a teenager fears God? By the way, I think you have a great youth group and I just think you all are wonderful. How can you tell if somebody fears God? Well, how do they do in worship? You know, I mean, when, when the, the church is singing, is, is the person next to you just too cool to sing? Just don't, it's just, <laughs> are they too cool? If you, if you went to, out to eat with a boy, he took you on a date and you went to McDonald's to eat, I hope he takes you someplace better than McDonald's, but McDonald's is fine. If you go to McDonald's, does, does, uh, what, would, what would he uh, do about praying before you eat? Or would he think that was just too silly? Or what, would he be too cool to say, I always pray before I eat? You find somebody who prays before you eat. You find somebody who respects his parents even he's not a, if he's not around them. You find somebody who, who respects sacred things and doesn't mock them. Somebody who loves God and fears God. Will you visit my mom? My mom's in a nursing home and we've t- I've, t- I've talked a little bit about her. And she needs frequent visits. That's not because she can remember them because she cannot. She won't remember as soon as you leave the room. She won't remember that you're there, have been there. But that's okay because what we're doing is caring for her and seeing to her. And sometimes I, I cannot be there and, and Cindy is in the proximity. Can you visit my mom? When her dad was 94 and not long from death, he couldn't hear, he couldn't hear thunder. And he surely couldn't hear Cindy because she has a rather high pitched voice. And so he could never understand much what she said on the phone. And so she, she would say, can you call my dad? Because he could understand me. The lower voice, he could, he could get that and we could have a fine conversation. So I would call and check on him. And when he was in the hospital, my brothers-in-law and I, we'd take our turns when he had to have 24-7 people staying with him. His three daughters would stay with him, but the brothers-in-law would stay with him too. You know why? Because I'm married to Cindy and I married her family when I married her. And we're going to do these hard times of life together. I need her and she needs me. Next. You want some coffee? Okay, I told you some of this. Some of you were here yesterday and we talked about this, but I want to start every day off right. I don't drink coffee. I don't like coffee but I like her. And so I've got her a fancy coffee maker and I know how to make that thing fly. I get her all the stuff and we've got the creamer that she likes and we've got the coffee that she likes. And so I get up first and I say, want some coffee? And I go and fix her coffee and I take her a pillow and she has her morning coffee. What are you doing right now in your days for your spouse that is unexpected and that you don't have to do? What kinds of things are you doing right now? What are you doing that that your spouse really appreciates that you don't have to do but you do just because you want to make the day happen? Now you listen to this old preacher, good marriage is hard work. 
And you can look at a couple and you say, wow, they got a wonderful marriage. Well, I can tell you a secret about them. They work at it. They, they work at it. It, it j- doesn't just happen. Next. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Those are power words. I don't know. After you've been married a long time, you know, you just kind of figure out who's supposed to do what. She, these are her jobs and these are my jobs, right? And maybe so we figure that, that of course we can take that for granted because I'm, I'm doing my part and she's doing her part and we just take it for granted. I don't think that's smart. At my house, I, I have a chest of drawers containing my socks and my undergarments and all that. And it's a magic chest of drawers. It's magic. I almost never see, almost never see anybody put things in there. I just know that when I get ready in the morning, everything's there. And not just that, it's clean and smells good. And not just that, it's folded. And, and everything's in its proper drawer. It's, it's just like it. And every time I go, just about it, it's full or mostly full. And, and it's just magic. And I know that she does that. How about, how about you? You got things like that? And, and when was the last time you pointed that out to your spouse and said, listen, I just want you to know. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Your husband take care of the cars? Is your husband, I don't know, what does he do? Does he take care of the house? Work hard? Does he, does he take care of the financial things for you? When it comes tax time and everybody's crazy right now about taxes? Mine's done, by the way. That's pretty fun. Should be. What's the date? Is it time? Okay. You, you say thank you for that? You say something to him about that? This is the last one for today. Why did I buy you this phone? That's tongue in cheek. I talked to my coworker, Paul, one day because Cindy can't keep her phone charged or she leaves it in the car when she's in the house or she forgets to turn it on or the ringer's off or or there's just a, I, I wish I could just tape it to her forehead so that she could answer the phone because she's not very good at that. What the children do is call me they call me and, and, uh, because they know that she's probably not going to answer her phone. I talked to my coworker about that and he said, oh, well, I know the problem. What is it, Paul? He said, well, you, you bought her that cheap phone. If you bought her a good smart phone, an expensive phone, it would change. So I bought her, I did, okay, well, maybe you're right. So I bought her a really nice iPhone. It didn't change. Don't waste time that you may not have. I'm, I only brought the phone up to get me into this point. It's this, so what I'm talking about now is not about that silly phone. I've often thought that we made a mistake when we started calculating time based on how old people are. Wouldn't it be more efficient if we knew when a person was going to die, to calculate how many years they had left or how much time they had left. And what that would mean, of course, is that sometimes people who are young would be very old, just not know it. Being able to communicate with your spouse and to to have this kind of a relationship that I've been talking about with these power words is the day in day out minutia of life, most of it, 
And I'm telling you, there will be a day when one of you will find it very precious because it will be the stuff that memories are made of. Steve and Carol were our friends when we were in college. Lovely couple, faithful Christians. They married about the same time we did. And we didn't keep up, we lived in different cities, so we weren't together all the time, but once in a while. And so we were friends like that. And, and Steve and Carol were living in Tennessee and building a cabin in the country, bought some land and building a log cabin. And, and he would go when he had free time and work on it. And she took him some sweet tea out there one day and she was off somewhere and she brought him some tea and gave him a good kiss. And then they parted. And about 10 minutes later, that car out of control came and T-boned her and she died instantly. She was a sweet girl. She was a wonderful lady. You'd have loved Carol. And I think about that sometimes. Now, I, I am grateful for the fact that it's so shocking. An, occur an occurrence like that is very shocking. And the reason is because it doesn't happen all the time in our circle. It doesn't happen so much. And so if it did, if it happened every day, it wouldn't be so shocking, but it is shocking because it's somewhat rare. And I'm thankful for that. Having said that, uh, we, we don't have time, no matter how long we're going to live, to waste. If you knew that you, your, your time on earth was short, you would find it increasingly difficult, very difficult, to fuss at your, your wife over trivia or fuss at your husband over trivia. You wouldn't do it because you'd start treasuring the moments. Work to do work to be like that. Let's, let's work together to be more like that. Now the assignment for this session is that I, I want you to this week, and you might write them down, and if you want to, I think it would be fun to do this with your spouse and say, you know, let's, let's write some down and then we'll enjoy talking about them. We'll go out to dinner on Thursday night and we'll share the power words that we've thought of. Wouldn't that, I think that would be fun because you've got them, you just don't think about it. and then be good to each other, and then be good to each other. What a great blessing to be married to a faithful Christian. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I hope that the things that we've talked about in, re in reference to marriage have been helpful, and you can, even if you change and improve two or three things, we've talked about a lot of things, but if, what if it was just two or three things? Wouldn't it be worth it? Wouldn't it be worth it? I hope that'll be the case with you. God bless you. Is there someone here tonight who wants to obey the gospel? Now would be such a wonderful time. Repent of your sins and confess the sweet name of Jesus and we'll immerse you in water. We'll baptize you. The Bible says it's for the remission of sins and He will add you to His church. If you need the prayers of the Christians for whatever reason, we're here for you and this would be a wonderful time to do that. We're going to sing a song of encouragement and if you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing.